Hey everyone, what's going on? Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to share with you how stoked I am that the First Act podcast has seen such a significant increase in viewership over the last month. I really appreciate all of you who have been writing me direct messages on LinkedIn asking for advice. This makes me so super excited that we're helping people carve out their path in entertainment. Today, we're expanding our knowledge and we'll learn what it's like to break in and build a sustainable career behind the scenes of concert production. We have veteran production manager Zito here today to talk to us about his path working with Ariana Grande, One Republic, and the Backstreet Boys, among many, many others. So let's get right to it. And now, hosted by Harry G, this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, cause we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. Hey everyone, really stoked that you're all tuning in today to the First Act Podcast. Today we've got a very special treat. We're back in the music industry and we've got the famous production manager, Zito. Hello, how are y'all doing? Well, I don't know how they're doing, but I'm doing great. So <laughs> does anybody actually answer that back while they're driving their car, listening to the podcast? Like, I'm doing awesome. Thanks for asking Zito. Oh, thanks Nobody yet. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping that they hit me on like uh, on Facebook, just being like, Hey, just wanted to let Zito know I'm doing really, really That'd well. Be awesome. If you're doing well, hit us up. Let us know if you're not doing well, uh, let us know as well. I mean, you know, however you're doing, we want to hear it. You know, I was going to do a little bio on you. I know that you've worked with a lot of different yeah. artists, A-level A level artists, um, but I figured that you could probably walk us through it best. You want to give us sure. a little, you know, high level yeah. view of your experience? Yep. 21 years in the entertainment industry. Uh, started out as a jack of all trades, was a sound engineer, front house engineer, uh, was the road manager, driving the RV, doing the whole thing, marked my way through the industry. Uh, doing sound, doing a lot of uh, front house monitors. I've stage managed, production managed, and over the last few years have uh, solely production managed artists such as uh, Ariana Grande, One Republic, Backstreet Boys, New Kids on the Block, uh, Sia, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Josh Groban. Uh, yeah, a couple of couple of folks. That's a great great bio, and you know I'm really happy that you didn't hold back. You know a lot of a lot of people that I've had on the podcast are like they're always working behind the scenes, so they're always like not used to just being in the spotlight. Yeah. Right? Yep. And um, so it's, I'm, I'm happy that you feel comfortable just kind of being like, Absolutely. yeah, I've Backstreet Boys. I've worked with Faith Hill. I've worked with Sia, you know. Well, you know, I'm proud of myself. I've worked really hard to get where I'm at and I've worked with some pretty great folks over the years. So I'm not saying it in a way to, to, to name drop, but to, for folks to know my story and kind of know where I came from and how I worked. And I don't want to do that old cliche, but it's kind of true that, uh, you know, you I have these pinch me moments where I'm like, I can't believe I'm working for this artist. I would have never seen this guy. Like I've been a huge fan. I just recently got hired to work for green day and I've been uh, fans of them. I mean, since I was in high school, I could still remember, you know, listening to the, the records back then. And man, it's, it's crazy to me. It's just a crazy thought. So which green day album is your favorite? Uh, well, I like the old school stuff. Cause that was like, that was what, I mean, 
my favorite record is American Idiot because I like the theatrical aspect of it. I think that's super cool. The way that it's written uh, kind of reminds me of a Queen record in some regards. And I think that was a cool departure for them to keep some of the, some of that punk rock sensibility, but do it in this anthematic way uh, with a bit of you know drama to it. So I really did like that. But of course, the old school stuff, the stuff I've listened to as a kid is always you know nostalgic for me. I'm there with you. I, you know, I think that my first album was a Green Day album. I, I went out and I got, uh, I think I had Nimrod. And then yeah. I was like, wow, this is, this band's really good. And like none of my friends really listened to that much Green Day. We only knew like when I come around or, right. you know, and then I went like on the hunt to like HMV to get, I, I went out and I grabbed their, uh, their 1039 smoothed out slappy out. Like, like I'm like a, an old, like diehard. Oh, I love it. I love it. Cool. So, so you've worked now with a lot of huge artists and like, I, I can't imagine you just your first gig, you're like, you know, what, I want to be a sound engineer and I'm just going to go work with the Backstreet Boys. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. I worked, I mean, I've busted my tail for 21 years. And I'm always hustling. I'm still hustling. No matter what I'm doing, I'm hustling. For me, you know, I started small and worked my way up and a little bit of fake it till you make it. I definitely have some of those stories through my career where, you know, I, I, was in over my head. I've always told people, and this is a quote that I've lived by, is that I know I'm in the right place when I feel like I'm just in over my head, when I feel like I'm just treading water. Because if I feel like I've got it all under control, 100%, I'm not being challenged, I'm not being pushed. So I've kind of used that as the Lipton's test for me to be knowing that uh, I'm where I'm supposed to be when I take a gig or work with a new artist or whatever the situation is. Like, I just want to feel like I'm being pushed. There are some, some people when you start out in audio and you go to work for one of the big vendors like Claire brothers or eighth day, uh, you might end up being like the eighth or ninth audio person on a crew. And those guys will get thrown out on a U2 or a Beyonce tour or Coldplay or whatever. And I always think it's so funny that, you know, their first tour, it may be with Beyonce and that will be the, the, the gauge of which everything is measured. And it's not really reality. You're already starting at the top 5% of the industry. You don't really know what it's like until you've done a warp tour Tell you've done some pretty crappy clubs. Tell you've frozen your butt off in uh, loading into Toronto in January. Uh, you know, trying to push the stuff up a ramp. It's like that's that's where you cut your teeth. It makes you appreciate when you get to the Beyonce level. It doesn't always work out starting at the top for everyone, and and it can be challenging too. Even starting out as that ninth audio guy on a tour. How do you work your way up in those ranks? There's a long path between being that ninth audio person and being, you know, the mixer for, uh, you know, YouTube or whatever. Who was your first tour with? My very first tour with is with a band very few people ever have heard of. It's a band called Daniel's Window. And this was in 1999. I was playing in a band and we were doing shows with them. And it's kind of funny because we were doing shows. We're from Chicago and we were doing shows around the area. And they we couldn't get play outside of Chicago to say our lives. And they were going to like Indiana and Wisconsin. And I was like, Whoa, that is so cool. They're like tri-state. <laughs> and so I went up and talked to the guitar player that I got to know. And I said, Hey, you know, I do sound or whatever. Um, if you ever need somebody, let me know. And he said, um, 
actually we do, you know, at typical stories like, well, our bass player's brother, he's kind of like our sound guy. And, you know, uh, you know, he owns the equipment, but he, he can't go on tour because he works at, you know, some laboratory or something. He's like, so if you want to, if you can go on the road with us, uh, you know, we'll start bringing you out, you know. And that's how it worked. I went and told the band is like, Hey, I'm going on the road with these other guys. Let's do our last show. <laughs> so how old were you when you did this? Well, I'm 42. So yeah, early twenties. Okay. So did you go to college or was this like out of high school? Uh, I went to college. Um, that was my last year of college. I was one, people think this is funny, but I was one, one, one class away from graduating and was signed up for it. And then the band asked me to go on the road with them. And I went in, it's like a week into classes and I walked into the office and canceled all my classes and I never went back. Nice. So I guess you must've fallen in love with the road life. Yeah. Yeah. It was a natural fit for me. It, it was and still amazes me. I'm, you know, it takes a unique type of person to tour and it's not necessarily just one skill set, especially to do what I do. It's a unique position because you're managing a lot of different departments and a lot of different logistics and things. So it's all this unique skill set. And so I sort of felt into it naturally, all these things that I couldn't do naturally or learned in other jobs or whatever sort of led me to this thing and this career path where I was pulling from sort of all those sorts of things. So, you know, I want to come back to the skill set thing. Um, you know, what makes a great yeah. roadie, what makes a great tour manager, yeah. production manager, et cetera. But just going back to school. So what did you study in college? Uh, music. Yeah, I thought I was I, li- I thought I was going to be uh, a touring musician or in a band or whatever. And I, I could play a little bit of everything, guitar, bass, drums, piano, saxophone, And I had this moment, it was like out of a movie uh, where I was walking down the rehearsal hall and at the the college, um, they had all these rooms, these small rooms that were rehearsal rooms, right? And they had or whatever, um, or you could just rent out a small room to practice whatever you're doing. And I remember walking down the hallway and somebody was waiting for a room and sitting there playing guitar and they were, you know, playing this beautiful jazz piece. And I remember walking by hearing somebody play piano and it was this beautiful, uh, piano piece and a trumpet and all these other things. And I was like, wow, they're all really good. Like all of them are better than me and probably none of them will make their living off of it. Like it's abysmal. The percentage of folks that actually can work professionally, the guitar player in said band that I ended up working for one of the best guitar players I ever worked, uh, I've ever seen. And, and, you know, never, he could, as easily as qualified to play as any top guitar player on, with any band and has played with small regional bands his entire life. And the drummer that was in my band is the best drummer that I've ever seen. And same thing has never played in anything other than a bar band around Chicago. So I was like, okay, so you could be a badass musician. You could be really great. You could be disciplined, but that's only a very small part of the equation. So I was already technically proficient. The other stuff came to me, the recording stuff came to me, the, the, you know, the engineering stuff. And so I thought, well, this seems like a lot clearer path. Uh, they're always going to need folks to do this stuff. Uh, and it isn't so subjective to like somebody liking your style of playing and liking uh, your vibe or, you know, your look or whatever. And so, yeah, I, I decided to start moving into that. So you were, you were a mature kid. Uh, I'd like to think so. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. You do drugs or no? <laughs> no, no, I never really did. I never went down that road. Um, I doesn't seem like that. that. No, no. And I'm not saying you're not cool or anything. <laughs> I'm pretty cool. Uh, I'm pretty cool. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just, 
never really got into it. So I guess I don't know of anything good that comes out of it other than spending a ton of money. You know, maybe, maybe like a vision or I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, you know, what's really interesting is, you know, you're, you're walking down this, this hall in the music school and you're hearing all these incredible musicians and you're saying, you know, without a doubt, these people, you know, I'm great, but these people are just phenomenal. And you're saying like, you know, there's such a small percent of these people that are actually going to end up making a living off doing this. And it's pretty scary, but it's true. I interviewed uh, Brian Vickers a couple of weeks back and he works at Disney doing licensing and music yeah. placement for trailers. And yeah. um, he was also a jazz major at Howard University. And, you know, he, he had the same feeling. And so he ended up actually doing an associate's degree afterwards. And he's like, I want to work in the music business. Right. And because he realized he's like, I'm great. All these other people are great. But like this one went to New York and they didn't get a record deal. And they're right. 10 times better than me. Right, right, right. Right. So you have these moments where you're like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? So let's talk a little bit about the skills and what else goes into the equation of working in the music industry or being successful in this right. realm. It all starts in your head. It starts with mindset, uh, being willing to work hard to do whatever it takes. I mean, I am I'm a hustler. I'm willing to bust my butt and put in the hours. I mean, most people don't realize the length of the days that we do on tour. And if you were to ever set, sit and figure it out on an hourly basis, it's, it's terrible. I mean, it really is. You don't do it for that. You do it because you love it. And it's not for everybody, but man, we're doing days. Um, we're doing days uh, on Ariana, that, that tour was grueling. There were days we were going in at four in the morning and we were finishing at two in the morning. That's a 22 hour day straight. It, it's, that's a long day, no matter how you cut it. To, and so you got to be willing to, to put in the hours. I am not a bitcher. I don't complain. I just try to get, keep my head down. I have a saying, it's actually a tattoo here. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, you know, you signed up for it. You're here. You, we didn't get to pick the building we're playing in. We're not picking the local crew. We have no say in any of this, the schedule. Uh, it is what it is. So at this point, we've all agreed to be here. Let's put our head down. Let's get the job done. And man, it's an awesome life. So enjoy it. I'm thankful for it every day. Uh, I'm on the road, it, no matter how crummy the venue may be and how bad the day may be. It's like, you know what? This is still pretty cool. It's still, <laughs> it's still better than the alternative. And that became blatantly apparent when COVID hit and touring was abruptly stopped. The only things being presented to me are going to work at Amazon here in Nashville or Home Depot or Lowe's. And again, not that there's anything wrong with that. Any of those things, just not what I'm cut out to do, you know? Right. You've been working in this business 21 years. You know, you have um, a very specific skill set that applies to a niche part of the industry. So you went on your first tour with your own band and then ended up getting your first gig as a sound engineer for going on the road with, with another band. Yep. So how did it snowball from there? Did you just stay with that band or did how did you end no. up getting new bands? So... I have always been forward thinking and it is no matter how you cut it, it, this is a business based upon relationships. And, and I don't, I know some people get frustrated by that. The whole, it's who, you know, there is some reality to that, but I can also tell you how to get noticed, you know, by the same things, hard workers, good attitude, people that are willing to, to, 
chip in and do what needs to be done to get the show happening. And that's how you build those relationships and, and get those referrals and help people move you along in the industry. So as I've progressed, I've made a conscious effort, even it's shocking to me as, as a, having worked for the headliner for countless large scale tours, as well as in my career, having worked for the opener with lots of large scale tours, I always saw working for the opener as an opportunity to learn for free. I get to watch somebody else come in and uh, see how they're going to do things. And I mean, even I'll put it this way, even last year, uh, I went out after finishing with Ariana, I went and did Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And I did a position there that I wouldn't normally do on tour. I wasn't the production manager. I was just a part of the tours, one of the crew. And for me, I was like, was way overqualified for the specific position I was doing. But I was like, this is amazing because I get to go here. I'm going to get paid to travel and do shows. And they, you know, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is a very unique type of tour, the way they do tours, their big shows, you know, 20 trucks in venues that are very challenging and they do two shows a day. And the way that they've done that is they've developed their own style of touring to make that happen. So I was like, wait, this is awesome. Cause I'm going to get to go on the tour. I'm going to get to work with some of my mentors. I'm going to see how they do things. And I'm not even responsible for it. At the end of the day, I'm getting paid to be on tour and learn from them every day. Ask them this, well, why are you doing it this way? Or what are you going to do here? What's your game plan here? If you're not learning, you're, you're dying. And so as a, you know, as being out on tour with uh, support acts, I learned, met the headliners. I met their crew. I met their production manager, the tour manager, asked them questions. I showed up early in my entire career. I can only think of a handful, like a couple of times as me as the headliner where I had a support uh, artist show initiative like that. And one of them was my buddy, Britton Billick. He's now a tour manager. He took over Josh Groban. Uh, He was doing Megan Trainer, And Britton was awesome that way because he was working for the first of like five acts on a tour. And he came in early. He asked questions. And I knew right away where he was headed because of that. He could have just been like, ah, screw it. I'm working for the first act. I'll show up at six o'clock and be drunk and do whatever. And, And he took it serious and he's gone far for that, you know? It's nice to hear that. Part of my story was that I came from Montreal, not knowing anybody and just kind of like you, like hustled your way through. I just, you know, I figured what's the worst people are going to say? No. You know, if you ask them questions. Yep. So I took an unpaid internship at Crush, you know, Crush. And they gave me a shot. And then through that, I ended up doing a booking at Webster Hall and worked with their production manager. Great venue. Yeah, awesome venue, but you know I wasn't making as as we know in the music industry, it's it's very hard to make a New York City livable. Yeah, 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 entry yeah. level. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I baked it into my contract, having never done production for a show before, except for selling one T-shirt at a show. I baked it into my contract that I would get at least like two shows a week where I could help load in, load out. Wow. You know, wow. I made I made an extra couple bucks and I got to learn so much more because then you, then you really understand more than just like, you know, the buying and selling of an artist, you get to understand like what goes into behind the scenes, you know, what's efficient, what's not efficient, how, you know, what's a difficult venue like Webster hall, very difficult venue before the renovations. Right. 
Anyways, we, we, I digressed. We're talking a little bit about skills. We're talking about mindset. Mindset's super important. What, what else is really important? Uh, well, it's the lifestyle's hard. So it, it's either for you or isn't. There's no shame in that. To me, a good roadie isn't somebody that's necessarily technically proficient. I mean, sure, I have those people that are just geniuses in their own right, uh, in their own world. But for the most part, I just want people that are responsible, that that listen well, take direction, learn from their mistakes, uh, and are constantly improving. Those are great team members to have. And as long as you're willing to be a sponge and constantly learn and absorb, you'll keep growing. Those people always go the furthest. Like they just do. And there's always a standout I, on every crew. Most of the crews, unfortunately, you know, you, you meet a ton of people and, and uh, they may fade away in your memory. There'll always be a handful of people that rise to the top uh, because they've proved themselves as assets. Make yourself indispensable. Like you said, you, you, you just, you show up, you put in the hours, you're always there. I love that. I love guys that pop into the office like, Hey, um, you need anything, uh, anything I can help with or lighting guy that jumps in to help the video team when they're in the weeds or vice versa, you know, not this all, it's not my gig. I don't need to do it. Like that's just the stuff that goes a really long ways. You're in it together. Like if it showed something disastrous goes wrong, the people walk away. The fans just see a show that didn't go right. They don't go, well, it was the, third audio guy's fault that he didn't patch this in. Right. And like the whole show suffers for it. So we can, You're a we team. can all, yeah, totally. hundred percent. You touched upon so many things that I want to talk about. So, yeah. one, <laughs> so you're talking about the lifestyle you spoke about um, the importance of not only just like proving yourself, it's not about proving yourself, just about, about being a team player. And it kind of goes back to what you were talking about at the start. It's, it's about who, you know, yeah. How many people have you worked with either when you were more junior or, or when you were senior and you had people that were junior, you know, take more onto their plate to learn and you'll remember those people. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and that's networking. Willing to, to be a part of the team, you know, and be one of those core people, make yourself indispensable, make yourself be an asset that, that the tour just can't, can't live without. No, you, you, you want to be surrounded by people that want to be there, people that are go-getters, people that are willing to do everything, go above and beyond. Yeah. There's been shows that I guess have gone really poorly in your <laughs> Yeah, there's always those moments. How does that feel? It's Man, it's, it's hard because you do pour your you pour yourself into it. Uh, the, 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 glo not the glory that sounds weird, but the, the joy doesn't come from the load in or the loadout. The joy comes from the, the 90 minutes, the artist is on stage and there's an energy and you get to see people uh, enjoying themselves, losing themselves in a moment. I, I've said we, we, we in touring, we're selling an experience and an energy. And which is why now during COVID and as soon as we can go back to touring again and, and, and gathering together in groups, we will, because people long for that. All this other stuff that's happening. I'm happy that it's providing employment in some avenues for it, but the live streams and driving stuff, they're not going to be a long-term plan. They, they miss the most important piece of the puzzle, which is that, that energy of being in a room with, you know, 12,000 other people or 2000 other people, what it is where you where you feel like as a fan that your 
singing louder makes the performance better. When you feel like when you applaud more, they perform better. Like you can't replicate that. And you get lost in that as an audience member. I mean, I started this industry because I love music. I loved going to shows. I love that energy. That'll never be replicated in any other way. Same thing in, in football, you know, you, the, you know, the receiver catches the ball and they start running towards the end zone and you cheer louder. And when you're cheering louder, somehow that makes them run faster. You like just get caught up in that. And that is a thing. That is what we sell in, in live events. And so when something goes wrong, you, it hurts, man. It sucks. And you beat yourself up over it. But the thing is we're dealing, especially nowadays with extremely technical equipment, extreme types of things that we've incorporated into shows are mind blowing. But when, when the complexity of something goes up, the propensity for something to go wrong increases. Sure. And so the important thing is to, to stay abreast of that and learn from it and know that equipment can fail and have plans in place to adapt with it. Stuff's going to go wrong. And that's not the issue. The issue is knowing what you're going to do when it goes wrong, have a game plan and addressing how it doesn't happen again. Most artists tend to be pretty understanding when something goes wrong, as long as you have an explanation with a, why it happened B and how it's not going to happen again, where they get really uncool is if you can't answer one of those two questions and you can get away with that. We're not entirely sure we're working on it, but you can't get away with, it's just keeps happening. That just never, never flies. There was one time we did uh, have a show in Mexico city uh, with Backstreet Boys where the show ended early and we couldn't get it, get it going again. And we had to sort of escape out of the venue type thing. But other than that, that's the only time experience I can remember where something dramatic has happened where we couldn't continue with the show. Speaking of, you know, a lot of the artists that you've worked with, do you get that sort of exposure to them? Do you get to meet the band and hang with them? I know people will find this funny, um, but the less interaction I have with the artist, the better. Um, I'm happy to know them and know their name. And of course, I'm always cordial with them. They are my boss or bosses after the day uh, can say hello and how you doing. But the more they know me, like the more spotlight it puts on you, like, oh, hey, Cito, perfect. I had this uh, great idea that I was going to start flying in from a, and then you just, you know, you don't want to have those conversations. So the, my favorite tours are the ones that I have the least interaction with, with the artist. Um, <laughs> the only exception would be uh, the One Republic guys were felt kind of like my brothers. Um really cool guys every day they came in you give you a hug and genuinely cared about you and so that that was cool having that relationship but most of the time it's it's not that way i mean when i did the sia tour i never met her did a whole tour with her and we never spoke two words to each other i don't even know what she looks like do you i don't know actually if i saw i wouldn't have any clue if i didn't see her in the in the get up um have any clue what she looked like (laughs) yeah how crazy is that that's great. And doesn't she go on, she goes on stage by herself, doesn't she? Yep. Uh, she has dancers. So she's just standing on a pedestal during the whole show. And then she has, uh, there's two dancers that uh, dance uh, during the show with her. Okay. Just, I mean, I did a stadium there. run in Australia, New Zealand with her. Uh, yeah. Where we were selling over 30,000 seats and it's just her. Nice. So you worked with the Backstreet Boys for like yeah. five Long- years? Longer than that. Yeah. I, I started... 2007 and went up till I think the last show I did with them was 2013. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so they know Zito. Well, they do. They, the guys do all know me um, because I, when I was traveling with them, 
a bunch of the stuff that I did when we get paired down to the really small promo crew, uh, there's really only a handful of people out on the road. So it's not the big hundred person tour. It's down to like 15 of us. And so we're traveling together, flying show to show, whether on the jet or commercial or whatever it is. And so we, you know, we're around each other all the time. And then every one of the guys had a solo career and they did their own tours. And so they would hire me to go do that. So I did solo tours with AJ, Brian and Nick uh, all on their own uh, projects outside of the Backstreet Boys. That was, yeah, we got to know each other pretty well. I mean, your hometown is, was one of the, the, some of the craziest shows we ever did were at the Bell Center. Actually, the loudest shows we ever did were at Bell Center um, playing there. It was insane every time we had come through Montreal. If you think that's loud, you should come see a hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. And we always try to go in whenever we get into a city. If there's a game the night before, uh, we try to go and watch a game yeah. set up through the arena. You mentioned that, you know, for, for some of the smaller tours, there's, there's fewer people. Yeah. Right? So how many people are typically doing production behind the scenes on, on, on one of these larger scale tours? So on Ariana, we were somewhere in the neighborhood of, I want to say 90 touring personnel. Wow. And then we had 15 tour buses. So there's 15 drivers and then there's 24 trucks. So obviously 24 truck drivers. And that was just in the B and C party. And then you have the A party. Uh, they were probably another 15 people. And then there was the B party, which is band and dancers. And they were probably another 20, 20 people. So we operated as three. That's something a lot of people don't know. We, operate as separate groups. So the typically, unless it's like a promo related thing, and even still a lot of times you, you travel separately. Backstreet was a little different in that regard. We traveled together, but most of the time, those three groups, A, B, and C parties, artists, band, and crew all travel separately. So I was, I'm responsible for the C party, for the crew party, and we're the largest by far because of you know, the number of us. And so we had 90 something of us uh, traveling. And then the B party was band dancers and their assistants, tour manager. Uh, and then the A party being the artist and security tour manager, maybe some assistants, glam people, hair, makeup, or, uh, yeah, that sort of thing. Wow. Nutritionist, <laughs> trainers, all that stuff that travels. You guys travel all around the world. Yep. Do you have like a couple top cities that you love to visit? Uh, well, I love Asia. That's my favorite place in the world to travel. Uh, Tokyo is just still one of my favorite cities. I, I just absolutely love traveling Tokyo. Uh, just su such a cool place. I love Bangkok. I like the edginess of the street. I like Taipei. I love just all the Asian cities for what they are. I actually really enjoyed traveling um, South America and even some Eastern Europe. I just kind of the edgier it is for me, the cooler it is, the more hip factor, um, going out where you can eat street food and it's a buck and, and you're having these amazing things, sharing a, you know, a, a beer and a, whatever the random cart food is with some stranger, you know, trying to piece the language together. Like those are my favorite experiences. Actually, that made me think I had, I had a funny, funny story. Um, so I was working for some 41, this was 2012, I think. And we were touring China, which has its own challenges. But one of the unique things about touring China is that the government has to approve your set list and they need lyrics submitted for all the songs. So 
what I always tell bands when we're going to China is they're going to flag some songs that you can't play. So just submit any song you've ever played live. Like that's the best way to do it. Put a set list together and put every one of your songs on there. That way you at least have a running list of potential songs you could play. So you don't get caught off guard. Well, we did that with some 41 and uh, it came back and there was like 11 songs approved. And if you know anything about a punk song, they're all less than three minutes long. Right. So, you know, 11 songs, we had what, 33 minutes worth of music uh, to play for the show or whatever it was. And the band was contracted for 90 minutes. So the band had no choice, but to play the entire set twice, every song. So they played the song for 11 songs and then they did them again. <laughs> I would have loved to be, <laughs> to be, I that. mean, the fans didn't care. They cheered just as loud the second type through. I've been, maybe they're used to it or, or whatever. I mean, in the States, people have been like, what the hell is this? But it was really, it was funny. I'll, I'll never forget that. Like looking at the set list and we were all laughing about it, but w- what else could you do? We had to play 90 minutes and they didn't have enough approved songs. Oh, that's great. That, that's really funny. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's your job as the production manager to, to, to make sure all this stuff is cleared ahead of time. Right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe real quick. Like, why don't you explain like the difference between like a production manager or like a, and, like a tour manager, sure. and, like, a sure. sound engineer. Yeah. So, uh, the bigger the bigger the tour, the more divided the responsibilities are. When you're starting out, uh, you know, when I worked for that very first band, I essentially was the only guy, right? So I did it all. I ran sound for the band. Um, I did lights. We had a separate light board. I would run those. Uh, when you, I did tour management production, I was in charge of everything, right? And then as the artist grows and the bigger they get, they might divide responsibilities up. And so they'll start having more and more crew. Um, the, between myself and the tour manager, kind of at the level we operate now is the tour manager is just handling the artist. They're handling the A party. Essentially their responsibilities are the movements of the artist and the person, all that travel with the artist, whether it's family, whether it's assistance or whatever. So, uh, that's their responsibility. And it's a full-time job to stay, uh, you know, stay with these artists and take care of them and make sure they have all their movements down their flights, their transportation, you know, hotels and everything. So they're responsible for all of that. The production manager is responsible for essentially everything that has to do with the performance. So I will work with the designer and the artist management um, and sometimes the tour manager to design the show, what it looks like, take the vision of the designer and the artist. And, f- and then from there, I take that vision and I go to the vendors uh, and design how the set's going to look and how, because uh, a designer may design the look of it, they'll draw it out, but then you still have to figure out how it's going to be put together, how it's going to break apart and how you're going to move it. Right. So again, I deal with the logistics of the touring. So I'll hire all of the vendors, the lights, the sound, the video, the trucking, the audio, the pyro, um, everything. I'll hire the buses and then I'll hire the crew. And then I'm responsible for moving them to show to show and dealing with in every city, we have a local promoter and I give them a list of criteria of things that I need 
to successfully pull off the show. Uh, things like the number of stage hands we need, all the equipment hangs from the ceiling in an arena. So all the riggers that we need, uh, the amount of forklifts we need, the space and the power and all of those things. So I'm sending them all the materials so they can be prepared when we get there and are ready to start going that we have all the local uh, assets and support we need in order to, uh, you know, to do our job. Can I ask a question about price, about money? Yeah, sure. Okay. okay. So in terms of like a big production, yep. you know, you work with the designers, you're working with, you know, all the, all the moving parts. Yep. How much would something like this cost for an art? Like, I guess like a, a loose range. Well, on the big level pop tours, our average run rate per week could be anywhere between 750 to 1.2 million. Wow. Um, that's pretty average run rate. And that's just our production and our touring expenses, the lighting, sound, and the video. Then we have uh, local expenses per city, and that would be down to uh, the stage hands, and that can run anywhere between uh, 40, again, big level stuff, 40,000 to um, in some of the bigger union markets, it could be $240,000 in, in that. And then um, obviously there's uh, generators and those sorts of things, power requirements, forklifts, all those ancillary stuff, security, um, you know, can be hundreds of thousands of dollars, all that other stuff that gets added and catering, you know, we're feeding 250 people for lunch, 300 people for dinner. I mean, that's a lot of bodies to feed. So, you know, that the catering can bill could be 40 or $50,000 a, a show or more. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I'm thinking about when, when I was booking at Webster, like we usually had a catering budget of like 500 bucks. Right. 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 Is, is that for their, for their tour, like for everyone? Yeah. yeah. Normally that's, that's for the, the touring personnel that, and it's really gets hard to make those kind of the economics of those kind of numbers work, you know, $500 catering budget. Cause going back to the health thing, that's one of the things that I always fight for. I, I have, I've said that, um, I think I even said it here. Well, we can't control the venues we're going into. They get booked and some of them can be crummy. Uh, and we can't control the attitude of the local stage hands. We can't control the schedule. Most of the time that's booked by the promoter and management. And so we have no say in those things. We just are told where to go and make a show happen. So, but what I do have control over is I have control over the hotels we stay in, I book those. So I want people to stay in nice hotels where they can get rested, not where you're sitting in a hotel 20 miles outside of town because it saved 10 bucks right. uh, and you can't go out and get a decent meal or go to the gym. You know, I try to be very conscious of that. Uh, you can feed people well. You can try to fight for high quality food, you know, options for people. Nothing's worse than being on tour and you have a dietary restriction. You're, you know, lactose intolerant or gluten-free or vegan and walking in and not eating anything, not finding anything you can eat. That That's really discouraging for people, you know, right, on right. tour. So I try to be very proactive with that. And so you feed them well, you put them in good places and you try to travel them on a, on a decent clean bus. And most of the crew are, are pretty happy if you'll take care of it's not complicated it just takes being aware of what it takes to take care of people what's a typical day like you know you 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 said that the nights will obviously run pretty late yep yep what, what time do you guys normally get up or yeah so most tours don't start as early as we were doing on uh you know on the ariana thing um just because the scale and complexity of the show just involved longer days and we actually would prefer if we can my MO is if we can get in the building the day before there's not an event, I would rather do a portion of the setup the day before so that the actual work day 
is only 18 hours and not 22 or only 16 and not 22 hours. So normally the first thing we do is we call it the walk and chalk or the core staff in there's like six or seven of us that are in, and then we'll say five o'clock in the morning or six o'clock on a big arena show. We come in and we walk around the venue, lay out where everything's going to go, where the stage is going to go and the seating and everything else. We'll go through the backstage and pick out all the rooms and what's going to get assigned to what. And then uh, we'll start unloading trucks six or seven o'clock in the morning and, and start setting up. And that the setup is obviously the longest portion that'll take us, you know, four or five hours uh, longer on, on bigger shows and then uh, be ready to have uh, the artists come on stage and start sound checking if they want to three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon. And then you start, get them on and then you bring up the support acts, get them up and set up and, you know, doors seven o'clock show at eight. If it comes down at 11, we try to try to be under two hours uh, getting everything packed up and into the trucks and rolling down the road. And because everybody still has to, load the trucks and shower up. So does the same team do all two or three or four plus acts that go on the road? Like the yeah, same so, production team? So normally support acts will have their own crew traveling with them. The, what's very common will be um, the first opener on an arena tour might only have a tour manager that's responsible for moving them from for city to city, but they might not have sound guys or lighting guys. They, can't afford that yet so they'll tip out some of our crew to do that and it's a great usually it'll be that like we were saying earlier maybe the seventh audio guy will right. get to run sound for the the support act so it's a great opportunity there um and if you are that person you're one of the lighting guys on crew and maybe not you know one of the lower lighting guys uh sixth or seventh guy you have the opportunity to run lights for the support act get out there learn spend some time they you know get to learn from the other lighting guys out there. And that's a great way to start working your way up. I've had lots of actually uh, crew guys that have worked for me as the headliner uh, as like a second, third, fourth audio guy did monitors or front of house or lights for the support act get picked up by them. And the support act goes on tour and they hire them. And that's kind of part of the process too. So be willing, you know, let, let it be known. Hey, they don't have somebody I'd love to help them out. Cause that's, that's a very common practice. Yeah. And chances are, you know, if you're going to be a dick on tour, you're probably not going to get offered those positions. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wants to help you. They would just want you to go back to the bus and take a nap. So Zito, I have one more question and then, and I have a couple questions from the audience, the, sure. the listeners. From, would you ever take somebody on tour that doesn't know how the, I guess, like how the technology works to train them? It would depend on the tour. Absolutely. I've had folks come out uh, and shadow and learn would depend on the person would depend on the tour. A hundred percent. I've had people reach out to me and come shadow uh, want to see what it's like, you know, all right, cool. Show up at six o'clock, be at the loading dock and uh, yeah, you're going to be there till two. So, you know, plan it for a long day, but yeah, the short answer is yes. But that would be for like a one-off, like one day sort of deal. Yeah. I mean, there are other questions that comes into, into touring. It is often hard to sell the people that, that sign off on the budgets, you know, Hey, we got somebody coming out for two weeks to be out with us and it's going to cost us another you know, 750 or 2000 bucks in hotels over the t- two weeks. And we're going to feed them and find a spot for them on the bus and that sort of thing. It's that can tend to be a challenging sell, but we have, yeah, we've definitely had that at times. It has happened. Sure. 
So for, for somebody who might want to work on the road with a band, how can they get started? So there's a lot of opportunities, a couple of things. I think if you, again, you're going to get what you put into it. If you really want to learn, you'll find ways to learn. So whether that means working at the venue, finding a job at a venue in part of their staffing there, uh, working as a local stage. And I know full-time roadies that when they are off tour will go in and be a stagehand so they can learn how to better direct crews when they're on tour by taking, by seeing how other people direct. Uh, you can learn from people whether they're doing a good job or a bad job, you know, by observing, I've learned as much about my, about how I don't want to operate by watching other people as well as things that I do. So being willing to do that, go in, sign up, be a stagehand, work some shows, learn the technology, learn the terminology. Uh, that's a great way. Bust your ass. We've hired stagehands to come out on tour, local sound, video lighting companies are always looking for help. You got to be willing to start, at the bottom, you're never going to just come in and get put on a high profile tour, making a bunch of money off the bat. You're going to come in and work your butt and be the one that shows up early and stays late and sweeps the floors and is always learning and astute. And that is 100% how you will move yourself forward. It sounds like it's a very linear path, especially, yeah. you know, you show up with a good attitude, you work hard, no yep. job is beneath you. Yeah, exactly. So you spend a lot of time with people on the road. Um, it sounds like, you know, your days are packed. They're full of, you know, how do you find time to like stay fit? It's a lot harder for me as the production manager because I can never leave the venue. Right. So I've, if, if I have guys in the building, I'm in. That's just the reality of the situation. So I, there are some guys that aren't that way. Production managers that don't go in right off the bat. They'll come in later and leave right earlier. I just never felt right with that. For me, if I want to be accessible to my crew, even if nothing else, uh, even if I can't necessarily be of assistance for them to know that I'm still in the building, for them to know that I'm still a part of the team, if we're playing some crappy venue where I know the stagehands suck and the loadout sucks and it's cold or rainy or whatever for them to, you know, be busting their butt. It, it's not right for me to be in the bus at the end of the night, drinking a beer. Right. Um, so it's not as feasible for me. It's got that point. You have to focus on the days off on the road. I travel with my uh, bike. And so I'll cycle. I try to you know get out and do 40 or 50 miles and really spin my legs, uh, which has been cool to get to see the country. Um, so I actually have a question that comes from, uh, one of our listeners, Daniel right. in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Hey, Daniel. He wants to know where you see the production industry changing over the next five years. Well, it's very COVID aside. Cause that's a whole nother conversation. So we'll just ignore that part of it. Cause that's going to change a lot of things. But the cool thing about, about touring is there are positions on tour now that didn't exist a few years ago. And as technology has grown, as these shows have become more and more um, complex and adding all of these elements, I mean, five years ago, we never would have, you know, there's companies that you see out glow motion and that are doing all of these, these light up effects over the audience or in the crowd or whatever that didn't exist before all these types of special effects that are happening that didn't exist before um, 3d stuff and, and integration. If you're, there is so much need. Everything is um, networked now, lighting, sound, video, all of it. So tons of people are needed that are advanced in that, the IT side, because you got to know that that whole thing. The video world is super complicated. 
Um, and there's that's technology is constantly moving forward and being driven by a lot of that IT based stuff. So it's just going to get more and more technically complicated. So I think the more technically proficient you are, those are the types of positions. If, if you come in and, uh, if my brother had, had, you know, big into, into video games and, if you learn the integration of like how some of that stuff works, you can kind of translate some of those skills into, into touring. And so I, I I've seen that. And if you want to get on, get on a tour and actually right off the bat, be in a, in a position to really work your way up quickly into some of the more high paying gigs and not just the, the, you know, hammer nail gigs. That's like, definitely the, the way IT, the IT side of it. Yeah. The IT side of it for sure. Yeah. I'm going to piggyback off his question because I, I'm curious, you know, I'm curious, like the, the, the 21 year old me is very curious to know, can you make a livable wage going on tour with bands? Yeah. A hundred percent until 2020, but up until now, the thing is the the money on the road can be great. Um, You know, you could be making from 2000 a week to 10,000 a week. Um, There's a lot of money to be made there, but there's a couple of things that go in, go with it the higher the gig, the more responsibility you have, you know, um, I might get paid well on tour, but, uh, I have a ton of responsibility and ultimately if the show succeeds or fails, if it fails, it's my fault. I'm the leader. So you got to know that you don't just go out there and walk in and there's a lot of work that goes with it, not just on the road, but all the time that goes into doing those high profile positions. If you want to be, one of the carpenters that just helps build the stage every day and make a couple grand a week. And you're in your, you know, working hard and lifting decks and pushing carts. You can do that. And then you can go home and you have no responsibilities. You don't have to report to the tour. Nobody's calling you management's not asking you questions. And so you can do those positions, but, but the best paying positions are the ones that involve the most responsibility and work. And you can make a great wage off of it. The other side to that, which is the dark side to the industry is you work for yourself. Um, you're a subcontractor, whether they pay you as an employee or whatever, you're just coming in for a portion of time for this tour. It might be nine months. It might be a year and you got to make your money off of that. And you've got to pay. I mean, here in the States, you have to pay your insurance, you're paying taxes. Uh, I'm paying for everything myself. So I might make a, you know, a good wage, but at the end of the month, I have thousands of dollars in expenses that I have to cover. Nobody's paying for a retirement plan for me. So if I want to have anything to walk away, I've got to put money towards that. I have so much money that I spend on insurance here in the States. Uh, And I'm not going to work and get paid 12 months out of the year. I have to make, you know, you have to count on between tours going a month, two months, three months, sometimes between tours, especially for a position like me as a production manager, it's hard to kind of dovetail some of those together um, because you have so much startup going into it plus rehearsals and there's also finishing the tour out. If somebody else that might be a carpenter, for example, that builds the stage, they show up on day one of rehearsals. They don't have any responsibilities necessarily before that. So it's sometimes easier to dovetail it and they might be interchangeable. If they said to me, I, I can do your first 10 weeks, the tour, I can't do the last two because I got to jump on something else. I would be more inclined to say yes to them and then figure out who I'm going to sub for those two weeks than me as the production manager. Very rarely are they going to go, oh yeah, you know, you can just jump off. So the more money you make, the more time in between tours you sort of have to plan on. It sounds like the production manager is a leader and Daniel has one more question. He wants to know what are some of the important attributes of being a good production manager when you're, you know, you're managing a large team of individuals? 
Well, I will tell you, I have more quotes than I thought I had, but one of the things I say all the time uh, is um, managing production is easy. Managing people is hard. Touring is logistics. They might be more complicated or complex, but you can work your way through them. Being a leader and being a manager of people is the hardest part of my job. Roadies are known to be a little rough around the edges. You know, it takes a certain kind of person to be willing to go on the road hundreds of days a year and work 18 to 22 hour days and put up with a lot of the crap that we put up with sleeping in a little tube and having no say over your life and being a vegan and walking in and not having food to eat and just sucking it up. It takes a certain type of person. And so it takes a certain type of person to be able to lead and be a manager. Uh, I try to be a leader, not a boss. I try to to lead by example, not ask anything of my staff that I wouldn't do myself, uh, jump in when they need help. You know, when we were starting Ariana, it was brutal. We were having some issues with video and my video crew was there and they were rotating through 24 hours a day, you know, for the first seven days of rehearsals. And I didn't know if we were going to have a show and I never left the building. I slept on the floor in my office so that if anything happened, they needed me, I was there. Right. And, and I don't say that to pat myself on the back. It's just that I feel a responsibility for the team. And so all this, all the things that make you a good leader are what make you a good production manager. It's ironic that I don't even think you have to be the best, most technological person out there. I know bits about every department enough to be have an intelligent conversation, but I can't tell you everything about video lighting. I was an audio guy, so I know more about that or pyro or whatever. The key to my success has been that I hire the best people I can do. A lot of guys in my position, get very, um, they're afraid and they don't want to hire people that will challenge them or maybe are more experienced, especially as I'm one of the youngest guys holding my position. There's a few guys my age, but most of the guys doing the level tours that I'm doing right now are way 15 years, 20 years, my elder. So I am going to hire the best I can hire is my people and surround myself with them and not be intimidated, not be afraid to say like, Hey, uh, what do you think here? Or what's the best plan of approach here? Do team meetings, sit down. Ultimately I have to make the decision, but I could still bring everybody in on it. So I think those are the attributes that make a good production manager and they can be an exhibited at any level of any size uh, tour. Zito, you're making me want to go on tour. I've never (laughs) actually gone on tour, but it's It sounds like it's really fun. Um, my path into entertainment was not going on tour, but a lot of right. the guys that I, a lot of my peers had got there in through touring. Sure. And, um, you know, we've had such vastly different careers. And it's just, you know, the, the advice that I give to a lot of people is to go on tour, jump on tour with a band. Yeah. You know, I think that that's such an invaluable way to learn, to get to know how the industry actually works. I wish more managers and business managers and agents went on tour and even for a short bit of time and put in the hours because I think it would be invaluable for them to sort of understand some, some things that I know the MO for crew can be that, that they bitch a lot. And I try really hard to break that, but, but there are some really valid things, you know, when you're sitting in an office making a decision and you look at a map and you go, oh, yeah, of course we can do Denver to Salt Lake city overnight, but you've never had to load out of Denver when it's, uh, 14 below and the doors are open. You can't feel your fingers. And then you get to Salt Lake city and half of the crew doesn't show up and you're showing up five hours late because the roads are iced. Like they're not there. 
doing that with you. They're not experiencing that to understand the amount of pressure and stress and the danger that is. And so I feel like it would be a lot better served if more people did exactly what you said, jump on the bus. And they have the opportunity, management, assistants, you know, almost any any intern or assistant on tour could go to the manager and say, Hey, I'd like to go out and spend a little bit of time and see what's going on out there. And management can make the call to put somebody on a tour if they really want to. And I think that would be invaluable for both sides. All the best managers that I know have gone on tour with their bands. Um, you know, maybe they didn't have a lot of experience beforehand, but a lot of them, they genuinely enjoy it. You know, it's, it's a great way to get to know your artists. It's a great way to get to yeah. know the business a little bit better. Yeah. Yep. Just to kind of see what it's like. It's kind of like a, if you want to think of it, like, like an undercover boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Undercover boss. Right. <laughs> yeah, that would actually be, a, that would be, yeah, they should dress up as a stagehand. Actually funny. When I worked for Backstreet Boys, uh, one show of every tour, the guys would load the show up. They'd put on a, a hard hat and a vest and grab the gloves and stay there all the way to the last truck was there. And good for morale, great for morale. When you look next to you and you got freaking AJ McLean or Nick Carter pushing a road case into the truck, like, yeah, they, that's kind of silly. Like they're doing nothing right, but they're in there with you. You know, until the end, they get to see it. You know, it's, it is, it's a big morale booster. It goes a long ways, man. I, I felt that even when I was at Webster hall, like they were like, Oh, it's Harrison from booking. And, totally. Uh, yeah. Know? It's amazing how segregated departments and, and even when it takes to put a tour together or in a building, like, oh yeah, that's ticketing. Oh no, no, that's marketing. Right. You know, it, it, it's so segregated. So anytime you can sort of bring it together because you're better served, they're better served. Everybody's better served when you understand how uh, the whole system works. Um, yeah. And that's one thing that I bridge have learned as I got into production. I understand the budgets. I sit with the artist. I talk to management. I know that side of it. So when, you know, somebody else is bitching about why something's a certain way, or I don't understand why we're doing this. Like, I know you don't, because you don't see the whole picture. Right. And I'm not saying I always see the whole picture, but I do understand it more. The more I learn from the agent, you know, I used to bitch about booking agents all the time. Like, what the heck? Don't they just throw dartboards in a map until you start talking to them and, and they start talking about how, you know, okay, so we're trying to route a tour. It can only go so many miles between here to here. And then you're working in buildings that also have an NBA team and an NHL team and their availability and what happens in the playoffs. And then somebody else is doing a tour and they can only go from here to here. And so then it gets super complicated. So everybody wants to complain, you know, that we're doing these crappy routing, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's the only option. Right. And, there isn't the option to just skip the city and not bring the revenue in and have four days off when your expenses are $1.2 million a week, you know? So understanding that side of it goes a long ways too. Yeah. Well, Zito, thank you so much for sharing so much. Yeah, knowledge. I, I, absolutely. I, I can't thank you enough. This is yeah, it's fun. Hey, what's going on everyone. I just wanted to take a quick moment and shout all of you guys out who have been tuning into the podcast week after week especially those of you who have taken, you know, 30 or even 60 seconds out of your day to write me personally on any of these socials on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and really, really, really those of you who have left me a review on Apple Podcasts. I love that. Thank you for sharing your love and expressing how each episode has positively affected your path. 
the whole purpose of this podcast is to bring people up, give them great resources. So thank you so much. This is the kind of support that's keeping me going. Lastly, if there's anybody that you know that has an inspirational story that would maybe make a great guest, please reach out to me on any of our platforms and I'd be happy to get in touch with them. Again, thanks everyone. Much love and stay safe.